great. Well, I want you to imagine with me today, just uh, we'll use your imagination. I'm sitting in my office over here, and uh, somebody comes and knocks on my door, and they just say, Pastor, uh, I want to be a Christian. How do I become a Christian? And I, would, uh, I might ask them this question. Well, what, made you, what makes you want to be a Christian? And they said, well, I've just messed up my life. Everything, I'm, I know that I've done a lot of wrong things. I feel so guilty. I'm ashamed. And I just, uh, I need a whole new start. I just, I need to be saved. Then I would say, well, that's wonderful news. And I would share with them something like this. I would say, well, let me tell you first of all that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfectly sinless life, and then he willingly died on a cross to pay for all your sins, to offer you forgiveness, and to give you a new life. And the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I would probably explain a little bit more detail about that, but then I would come to a place where I would say, the Bible says that by grace we're saved through faith and that it's a gift of God and I would say grace means that God does something for us that we don't deserve he gives us something that we don't deserve and I'd say you've already said that you know that you're a sinner and that you really don't deserve to go to heaven you don't deserve to be a Christian and let's say that that person would say yes I realize that but I said the grace of God is that God gives you what you don't deserve. And the Bible says that it is by faith. And faith is receiving, believing, accepting, and welcoming what God has said. So I said here's what God says. God says, I love you. I know you've sinned, but I love you. And I know that there's a penalty for that sin. But I have paid the penalty. And if you will receive me, if you will welcome me into your life by faith, then I will come in and I will give to you eternal life, my kind of life, God's quality of life. And then I would say to that person, I would ask if there were questions and so forth, but then I would ultimately say, would you be willing right now to believe what I've just shared with you? And would you welcome Jesus into your life and receive his love and accept the gift of eternal life? And if they said, well, yes, I want to do that, I would say, well, would you pray? Just pray and invite Jesus into your life and receive him. And I might even help them. I might, I might or I might not, but I might say, would you pray a prayer like this? And I would ask them to bow their head and I would say, would you say in your heart, and you don't have to say my exact words, but could you say something like this? Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned against God. And I know that the penalty of my sin is judgment and death. But I believe with all my heart 
that Jesus took my sin upon himself, that he paid the penalty for my sin, and that you raised him from the dead. And right now, I welcome Jesus into my life. I believe your promises, and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin and coming into my life and receiving me as your child. Amen. And then I would ask them, did you genuinely believe what you just prayed? And they, let's say they said, well, yes, I do. And I would say, well, then based on God's promises, did Jesus forgive your sin and come into your life and make you his child? And they say, yes. So I said, then you are a Christian. If you genuinely believed, truly received Jesus, then you are now a child of God. And then I would probably say, you know, when I receive a gift, the first thing I want to do is say thank you for it. So then I'd say, how about you just praying right now and just telling God thank you for saving you. And I'm not going to help you with this prayer. I'll just let you do that on your own. And then they bow their head and they just pray a prayer. And usually it's a, sometimes it's a short prayer. Sometimes it's an emotional prayer. Sometimes it's a long prayer. And they say something like this, God, thank you so much for hearing my prayer today. Thank you for saving me and forgiving me and making me your child. And they, they pray as long as they want to. And when they say amen and look up, usually... I can almost tell that there's a new countenance in their face. There's a new gleam in their eye. There's a joy in their life. And they look at me and I say, you know what? Since I am a child of God and now you are a child of God, that makes us brothers or brother and sister. And so welcome to the family of God. That's a wonderful thing. That happens sometimes. I don't have many people come to my office and do that, actually. I usually meet people somewhere else. But just for the sake of uh, illustration, that's the way uh, I ask you to imagine it today. And by the way, if I've just explained that, and maybe you've come today and you say, you know, I want to be a Christian. Well, I just told you how, okay? And it would be just that easy today for you to pray that prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I welcome you. I believe you. I believe what you say because that's what the Bible says. We're saved by grace through faith. And, and if we believe what God has said, that's what faith is. It's believing what God says, what he says about us, that we're a sinner who deserves punishment, but he loves us. And he sent his son to take our punishment. That's what the cross is all about. God bearing our punishment on his own son and then raising him from the dead so we could have the gift, free gift of eternal life by trusting in him. Now, now let's say that person came back the next day and they said, you know, 
Man, I know I'm a Christian because I've believed in Jesus. But I want to be a faithful Christian. I want to be a growing Christian. I want to be a Christian whose life really brings honor to God. And I want to be so strong that I won't stumble and fall and falter and, and, uh, and, and bring some kind of shame and reproach on uh, the Lord. What would you say I need to do? And then I would say, well, I'm glad you asked that question because I want you to know that God has given us a passage of Scripture over in Second Peter that tells us that if we believe all the precious promises of God, we have eternal life. But then if we will add to our faith certain things, then we will be healthy spiritually, we will be strong in the Lord, and we will never stumble. We will never fall. We will never collapse. And I'm sure they would say, well, I really want to know what those things are. And so that would be where we are, all of us are. And by the way, this passage of Scripture over in 2 Peter chapter 1 is one that I have just uh, lived in many, many times over my Christian life because I want to be strong in the Lord. I do want to stand firm. I do not want to collapse. I do not want to falter and fall. And so these things are so important. And we've, we've already looked at a couple of them. This is in First Peter. I'm in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Did I say First Peter a while ago? Okay, Second Peter. We're studying First Peter in Sunday school, Second Peter in the worship service. So Second uh, Peter chapter 1, he says in about verse uh, uh, 4, uh, can you put that on the screen for me up there, Brad? You have received these exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. That is the gift of God's life. That's eternal life. That's salvation having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Isn't that just wonderful to be able to say by, by trusting in Jesus, by receiving his promise by believing in him and receiving Jesus I have been given actually made a child of God I have been given the divine nature that is the life of God himself is now in me and so that's wonderful therefore I've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust but then verse 5 is where we really started on this it said but for this very reason giving all diligence. In other words, make this important. It's not just a, a, a side issue. You have to really, really focus on it. Uh, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And we said that virtue is a passionate longing to be all that God wants us to be. It is, it's it's a, 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 a deep desire to be Excellent in, uh, in the Christian life. So it starts there. Add to your faith. You say, okay, I say to this person, now you've, you've, you have faith. You've received eternal life. Now, that's wonderful. And nothing can ever take that away from you. 
I mean, you are a Christian if you have been born into God's family. You're a Christian. Nothing can ever rob you of that. You'll always be a Christian. But you don't want to just be a Christian. You want to be a, a Christian that is growing and bringing glory to God and joy to yourself. So I'd say you need to add to your faith virtue, this passionate longing where you say, God, I want to be excellent as a Christian. And then add to your virtue knowledge. And we said a couple of weeks ago, part of that means information. I want to, I, I would urge them Start reading your Bible. Study what God says. Read it. Add to your faith, add to your virtue, knowledge. It's not enough to just want to be a good, uh, a good Christian. You have to learn how. It'd be like if I said, you know, I want to learn how to uh, master Austin's hoverboard. Isn't that? And I, I see him out there on that thing just zipping around, and I'm thinking, man, I'd love to be able to do that. But I don't really want to do it bad enough to uh, learn how to do it because I'm pretty sure that if I got on that thing, uh, I wouldn't be zipping around. I'd probably be slipping down and... Uh, so I could say, you know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to really be a hoverboard master. But it's not that important to me. In fact, keeping my head in one piece and stuff like that's more important to me. So I wouldn't do it. So there are people who say, yeah, I'd like to really be a good Christian. But uh, I, other things are a lot more important to me. Well, I just guarantee you if that's the case, then you're just going to be a mediocre, uh, maybe even a stumbling, bumbling, uh, uh, not very happy Christian. And there are a lot of a lot of folks like that. There really are, and some of them may not really be saved. I don't know whether they're saved. I can't tell by looking at anybody whether they're saved or not, but. There are a lot of people who are genuinely saved. They have trusted Jesus, but they have not added to their faith virtue. And they haven't added to their virtue knowledge. And so as a result of that, they, they're just kind of, uh, what would you call, what's the right word to call that? Uh, what? Floundering, yeah, they're just kind of floundering around, and and they they even go to church and things like that, but they don't really put make much application of what they hear. They're not in the Word. They're not reading the Bible. They they spend a hundred times more time listening to men's words than they do to God's word. They're saturated maybe in television or, or secular music and things like that and conversations with uh, uh, unbelievers. And, and so they're not adding to their faith virtue. In other words, they don't have a passionate longing 
to be, uh, to live a godly life. And then they're not adding, if, if they do have that, they're, they're not adding knowledge to it. They're not studying. They're not learning. And we said that knowledge involves three things. One, it involves information, but it also involves learning by experience. And then it also involves uh, 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 intimacy, loving the Lord, spending time with Him, not just reading His Word, but spending time with Him. When my wife and I were dating each other, she was up in East Tennessee doing summer mission work, and I was in West Tennessee. By the way, Tennessee is a huge state, long state, almost 500 miles across. So we were a long way from each other, and so she would write me a letter every day, and I'd write her a letter every day. And I was working at night from 11 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning, and my mail carrier didn't come till about 10 o'clock. So when I would get home from work, after working in this cotton mill all night long, I'd just be dog bone tired, man. But I would not go to bed. I would walk around. I'd do whatever I had to do to stay awake. And when I heard the, the mail carrier coming, I would run out to the street to meet him. I didn't even wait for him to bring my letter up to the house. And I would tear that letter open. Sometimes I'd even get two. On Monday or Tuesday, I'd get two sometimes. And so I'd tear that letter apart, and I'd, just, I'd read it. First of all, I'd always smell of it because she always put a little cologne, a little perfume in there. You know, I'd smell of it, and I'd have her picture out. I'm, I'd read that. I'd just read it all the way through, and I especially loved reading those mushy lines, you know, those lines where she talked about how she couldn't wait to see me and that she was just so, and so, uh, and, uh, and I'd read it. I'd read it all the way through, and then I'd read it again two or three times more, and especially highlighting those special places. And then I would put the letter under my pillow, and then I would go to sleep, and I would have sweet dreams dreaming about her, you know, okay? Now, suppose, suppose when uh, the summer was over, and she came to West Tennessee where I was, and she said, I'm here. And I said, well, where's my letter? She'd say, well, I don't need to write you another letter. I'm here. And I say, oh, but I like your letters. So why don't you just go back to East Tennessee and write me some more letters? That probably wouldn't have gone over too well, would it? And I wouldn't have done that either because what I was saying, what I said was, hey, I love the letters but I love the letters because they were the expressions of the person. And now that I've got the person, I don't even have to have any more letters because the letters were, were just the reason they were special because they came from you. And look, I'm telling you this. Knowledge, knowledge, it's great for us to read what God says in His Word. And we ought to always do that. Those letters never get old. But... The letters are to lead us to the lover, you see. The letters are to bring us to the reality of who he is. 
And so knowledge is information that we find in the Scripture, but it's also uh, uh, experience, and then it's intimacy with him. So that was a couple of weeks ago's message. Now, he says, but we're not finished. You add to your faith virtue. You add to your virtue knowledge. But then he says, add to your knowledge self-control. Self-control. I think the King James has the word, it says temperance. But it's, uh, it's a Greek word. It's only used like three times in the whole New Testament. But it means the ability to bring self under control. To, to control ourself. And, of course, we usually think of it in terms of uh, uh, being, uh, you know, a person that may... Uh, maybe controlling their appetite, controlling their uh, 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 anger, controlling uh, if they, and of course the word temperate, we usually think of people who drink, you know, but temperate means controlling their uh, use of, of alcohol, things like that. But it actually is a lot bigger word than that. And it means to bring self under control. And I would say to that young Christian who came in and said, I want to be a devoted Christian. I want to be a Christian that really brings honor to Jesus. And I want to be a Christian who doesn't stumble and fall. I would say there are three great enemies that you're going to face along the way. In fact, I said this at y'all's wedding. You you probably remember. I know you memorized everything I said at your wedding. But uh, everybody does, of course. But I said there, there are three great enemies. There is Satan himself who really, really will, and he does attack us. But you know what? He really is the easiest of the enemies to deal with because one word from God's word sends him packing. I mean, really, when we, when we face an attack of Satan, we just pull out the sword of the word of God and he absolutely cannot stand before it. And when Jesus was out in the wilderness and was didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came to him tempting him, do you know that Jesus never tried to duke it out with the devil? He didn't try to run from the devil. He... All he said was, it is written. It is written. It is written. And when he quoted God's word to the devil, the devil backed away and finally took off. And I'm telling you, the Bible says that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. I mean... Isn't that funny? You know, we, we kind of think of the devil as a mighty powerful dude, you know. And we don't think of ourselves as being able to stand up against somebody that strong. But listen, when we are strong in the strength of the Lord, and when we use God's word, and we say, 
God has said, then the accuser has to flee, the tempter has to flee, Satan is defeated, okay? So that's one great enemy is Satan. It's the easier of the, the easiest of the three to deal with. The second great enemy is society around us, what the Bible calls the world. And uh, it's, uh, it's the way of thinking that says uh, God is not really that important. Things are important. Reputation is important. Position is important. Power is important. Getting your way is important, but God is just reserved for Sunday mornings at church. That's that society. That's the, the world about us. And I want to tell you, the best defense against that is what we're doing right now. It is the fellowship of people who believe that God's family is most important, that God is most important. And if you don't have some godly Christian friends that you can interact with and fellowship with, then uh, society will likely win rather than, than the fellowship of God's people. So the Word of God offsets the devil and fellowship among God's people helps us counter society's lies and value system but the third enemy and this is the most dangerous of all the enemies is self self so we've got Satan society and self and I would say to that young Christian you know, the greatest enemy that you're going to face is your own self. And that's the reason the Bible says that after we add to our faith virtue, a passionate desire to, to be a godly person, and we add knowledge, we get some information and so forth, we add self-control. We, we add this idea, how do I deal with self? And why is self, why is self the, the greatest of the three enemies? Well, first of all, it's because it's ever-present. It's ever-present. Self is always there. Self, did you know, you, you hear about people talking to themselves? You ever talk to yourself? <laughs> I do. Yeah, a lot of times. I was driving down to uh, um, see PJ, the young boy that used to go to church. I was driving down to see him yesterday. And most of the way down, I'm talking to myself. I'm just chatting. In fact, I'm going over a lot of this that I'm talking about with you this morning. I kind of preach to myself going down there. Well, it's good for us to talk to ourselves, But I tell you what's dangerous is when our self is talking to us. Does that make sense? Because self is not silent. Self talks to us, and it says 
things like uh, if we do a good job at something, self says, hey, you're really, you're amazing. You're, you know, and it kind of puffs us up, makes us feel especially good about ourselves in a, in a prideful kind of way. But if we fail, then self says things to us like, well, you're just a loser. You're no good. You know, you're never going to succeed at anything like that. You're a failure. And actually, self probably talks to us more that way than it does the other way. Always reminding us of, uh, of how weak we are, how, uh, what a failure we are. And so self is ever-present. It talks to us all the time. It says things like, well, you don't deserve to be treated that way. You know, when somebody hurts our feelings or insults us, self always comes, comes up with this thing of, well, who do they think they are? Do they not know who you are? You know, this kind of stuff. Okay, so you can kind of write your own scenarios to that. So it's not surprising that when Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, if any man, if any person wants to come after me, if anybody wants to be my disciple, he said, first of all, let him what? What's the very first thing? Deny himself. Let him deny self. And then take up his cross and then follow me. And that's the very, that's, that's the, the first words about, that Jesus said about it. If any man wants to be my disciple. You know, so somebody says, I really want to, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Well, first of all, you've got to deal with self. You've got to say no to self. You've got to talk to the self that's talking to you and say no. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to what God says. And so the reason self is such a a vital enemy, such a dangerous enemy, and I can tell right now I'm not going to get near finished this morning, so second half is next Sunday, okay, Uh, is because self, I mean, we have to deal with self intentionally. We have to, uh, we can't just, uh, hope that it's going to work out. We have to actually target self. We have to we have to talk to self. Over in the Old Testament and the Book of Psalms, uh, the psalmist said, uh, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God." He's talking to himself. He's saying uh, when he gets discouraged or depressed, he says, "Now cut it out. Stop it." And Hope in God. Get your focus on Him. So we have to do it intentionally. We plan to do it. And then we have to do it continually. It's something that we have to do all the time because with the idea of salvation, we can trust in Jesus and be saved, and that's a done deal. It's all finished. Uh, Brother Ephraim, you'll never be lost. You once was lost, but now you're found, right? You were once a child of darkness, now you're a child of light. That will never change. God has secured you for himself. The Bible says he has kept us for that for which we are kept. He's kept our inheritance 
for those that he has kept for the inheritance. In other words, it's a double keeping. We're, we're to be saved is to be saved. But as a Christian, we have to grow. It's not a surprise that the very last sentence in Peter's letter here is, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so to deal with self, we have to do it intentionally. We have to do it continually, and we have to do it spiritually. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 tells us that we have weapons to deal with our enemies, and it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not carnal. They're not material weapons, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, that can mean spiritual strongholds of the enemy, but it also means self-strongholds. Do you know that if you were to go and talk to most counselors today, Christian counselors, they would say that most Christians have some strongholds in their life that developed even when they were children. And those strongholds of, uh, uh, of, of feeling shamed or feeling insulted or feeling rejected or feeling neglected or feeling uh, attacked or, or whatever, that those strongholds must be destroyed. They must be brought down They because they are like uh, a, a tower in which the enemy is able to give commands and uh, direct the battle against you. And those strongholds must be pulled down. And if you've ever gone to a Christian counselor, a Christian psychiatrist, now a non-Christian psychologist, you don't know anything about this, but Christian counselors will tell you that most of the struggles that you have in your Christian life are related to some stronghold that was established in your life some lie of the enemy, some stronghold that was established when you were a child. That's amazing, isn't it? And becoming a Christian does not automatically destroy those strongholds. They're still there. You can be a Christian for 30 years, 50 years, and still have those strongholds that are there unless... You use the weapons of, that God has provided, which basically is truth, to pull down those strongholds, demolish them, and destroy them. And so, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm thinking I might... This might be a good place to stop because I want to talk about expressions of what happens in our life 
when we don't have self under control? What are some of the expressions of not having self under control? And I think you'll identify, as I, I certainly identified with many of them. And, uh, and then I want to talk about the damage that selfishness does in our life, just how it hurts us, how when we don't have self under control, the damage that it does in our life personally, in our relationships. As a matter of fact, most relationship problems are related to the fact that self is running the show rather than the truth that Christ gives. And, uh, and then I want to talk about how, how we develop self-control, how we can develop having self under control. But I don't have time really to do that this morning because I don't want to rush through that. Will you come back next Sunday? Try to come back next Sunday. Listen, it's very, very important. I was thinking I was driving down... Uh, uh, where's where did I go? What's the name of that place? Waco down toward Waco, and and back. I was just thinking, boy, this is a message that I need every day of my life, and it's a message that every Christian needs. Because if we don't bring self under control, we're not going to go any further. We won't. We won't move. We won't be able to uh, to move to the next thing, which is endurance, because we'll constantly be being defeated by self. And so, next week's message really, really will be important. And just in just in case you don't get to come next week, let me just give you this one thing: the real way that we deal with self is with the fact. That we are in Christ a new creation. Because of who I am in Christ, self, the old self, is crucified. Self is on the cross, and when I reckon myself, that's a good old southern word, isn't it? I reckon myself to be truly dead. Then self is defeated because self is on the cross and Christ is on the throne and he is in the control center now of our heart and life. But that all comes about by faith. All right. Well, I would ask if there are any questions, but I'm not going to ask that because you might ask a question that I'm going to answer in next Sunday's message. But I do hope you'll be here next Sunday. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have designed for us the simplicity of salvation. And nobody has to be a theologian. Nobody has to be a uh, uh, a super intelligent person. Nobody has to be uh, anything except to know that they're a sinner and to believe that Jesus died for sinners. In order to become a Christian, that's the ground is level right there at the cross. 
But I also know that your desire, your longing for our life is not just that we get saved. That that's the beginning. That's, that's the birth. And just like we don't want our children when we bring them home from the hospital to stay in the bassinet for the rest of their life. We expect them to grow. And I know you want your children to grow. And I pray that you will help us to add to our faith virtue our virtue, knowledge, and to our knowledge, the control of self. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, We would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.